Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Aina Rodriguez. I am back. It's another episode of Truth Serum. And uh, first and foremost, I want to wish a happy birthday to a heavenly birthday to Brianna Taylor. Today would, would have been her 27th birthday, I believe. So um, as we uh, take on this fight against brutality, the police brutality and all of the injustices that happen to the many Black men that have experienced it in this country, let us not forget all of the Black women who have also been brutalized at the hands of law enforcement. And we have a long list of them as well. And we are going to count Sandra Bland because we know good and goddamn well that Sandra Bland did not hang herself. So we, we're going to always honor all of the kings and queens, and we will not forget the queens on this show. Um, I'm happy to have uh, one of my friends on the show. I call him my friend now because we are, are of the same ilk and we have the same fight. And... Um, I wanted to make sure that that uh, the people who I I that respond to me understood uh, Charlemagne on a different level because a lot of people came for Charlemagne uh, when he talked about the Joe Biden situation, which I agreed with him on and demonized him for thinking that he was encouraging people not to vote. But we're going to have that conversation. I don't have to speak for the man because the king can speak for himself. Charlemagne, the God is in the house. Peace. What up, A? How are you? Hey, man, I am. I'm entertained and I am enraged all at the same time. It's beautiful, you know. I think that's a black brown thing, right? Like we gotta laugh to keep from crying. Yes. I, and it, I know I know we were joking all the way through slavery, segregation, like you know, through through all that pain, all that trauma. I know we was lightening each other up by making making jokes through all 100 percent and I was just telling, I talked to D.O. Hughley the day before yesterday. He was like, when did you know things were changing, eh? I said, when white ladies started getting bust upside the head by the cops. I was like, <laughs> that's when I, I was like, a change is coming. No, I agree with that, too. I like seeing all those white people fighting side by side with um, black people. That's why I didn't like when they try to switch the narrative and say, oh, those white people are agents. Those white people are uh, uh, paid by George Soros to be out there and be disruptors. Like any protest, I'm sure that there was actual disruptors out there of all colors. But I think it's a white supremacist worst nightmare to see white people out there fighting with black people, screaming Black Lives Matter, posting Black Lives Matter signs. That That's driving them crazy more than anything. I know it oh, is. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing that I was just saying this morning was, I know that it triggered old white racist men to see an old white man get beat, you know, knocked down by the cops. That was the, that now you have now you can have the empathy you don't have for us because you see a reflection of yourself being brutalized. And they were like, wait a minute now. You can't do that to us. How does that yeah. cop how does that cop not go to jail? You talking about the cops in Buffalo, New York, right? Yeah, yeah. he was a, he was a fired. But Ben said they haven't been arrested yet. That's the equivalent of the knockout game. Remember the knockout game when they was knocking out old people? I think it, yeah. was, I think it was in New York. That's yeah. the equivalent of that. And it's like, yeah. yo, that dude should be fired. He should be arrested. Like, why are we protecting the police officers? Like, it makes me wonder who's policing the police. And I really think that they have orders to do that. I really what? do. The police police is the police. Like what they said, uh, they said internal affairs is investigating that. And I was like, everybody calm down. It's okay. The police is investigating the police and they will let you know, they will keep you posted. That pisses me off more than anything when they be like, oh, we're going to investigate, but we all watch the video. What is there to investigate? There's nothing to investigate. If I push an old white man down, if I, Lenard, Charlemagne, the guy, McKelvey, go in the street, push an old white man down, and he busts his head. That's all the evidence they need to lock my black ass up. 
Absolutely. So how have you been dealing with all of this? Because the, the thing that I do when I talk to my, my black male friends who had to watch a man with a knee on his neck for nine minutes, you talk about mental wellness all the time. I, the, the, the psyche, the way that it responds to this, because it is trauma. How do you deal with this stuff? And how do you talk to, how do you encourage other black men to deal with this? That's a good, that's a great question. Cause you know, um, when the, when the global pandemic first started and you know, we all went into quarantine, um, I, I had a feeling of peace that I, that I normally wouldn't have in a situation like this. And it made me realize like, Oh, well, my therapist has been telling me for the past few years finally is working. Cause she was telling me just to let go of things that I can't control, but that's just very hard to do. And, um, with coronavirus, I didn't know what it was. You know, nobody knew what it was. So I refused to allow myself to stress out about it. I was like, I'm going to do what they tell us to do, which is stay home, which I'm not mad at because, you know, I can be home with my three little girls. My wife is here. One of my, you know, one of the greatest parts of my, one of the things that causes my anxiety the most is is, is my kids, right? So when they're at school and stuff, I have this high level of parental paranoia. So to be home and know where they're at at all times, like my anxiety level was way, 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 way down. And I was doing really good. But it's like, you know, first it started with Ahmaud Aubrey and then, you know, um, the Breonna Taylor situation and then, you know, George Floyd. And I was still trying to tell myself, like, I'm good. I'm good. So I would be having the heart palpitations. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, that's heartburn. You know, no. you know what I mean? And then, then, then I feel my palms sweating. I'm like, oh, it's just kind of hot in here. You know, so I was having those signs that I know, you know, lead to those panic attacks. But. I was lying to myself and telling myself that I wasn't bothered by it. And once again, I'm violating what my therapist tells me. She tells me, feel your feels. Yeah. I want to allow myself to feel my feels. So now that I'm allowing myself to feel my feels, to answer your question, I am emotionally, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. I'm at, I can imagine that. Because, you know, like we, we got to go on air every day. And, you know, we talk about these things. And then, you know, people want me to come on their programs to talk about it. And, you know, it was even a, a moment this week. Actually, yesterday I, I was telling Angela Rye, I'm like, man, I'm not doing no media today. And she was like, you don't have that option. Like she was like, you don't have that option. She was like, you know, when 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 God has a divine calling on your life and, you know, God has blessed you with a voice and, you know, you're you're, you're speaking for yourself, but you're actually speaking for a whole lot of people. You have to go do that. You have to go have those conversations. And I'm like. Wow. Wow. I didn't look at it like that. I, I honestly didn't. I was like, I, yeah, we don't have time to take days off at a moment like this, you know? So yeah, it's been emotionally, spiritually, and mentally exhausting. So when we, we have this conversation, we talk about police brutality. I mean, the police has been brutalizing poor people and black people and brown people, you know, uh, Native Americans or First Nations people, they, they, they are women, the women are murdered, they're missing, they don't get investigated, they're mistreated. This is, I'm so, I'm stuck for words right now because the this is something that's been going on in our communities our whole lives, right? I I have trauma from the my uncle getting beat up when he was eight, when I was eight and I watched him get beat up by cops in front of me and they beat my grandmother up, they beat my uncles. And this has been a part of my whole life. So, and it's always been something that I thought would never go away, right? I'm like, that's just what it is for us. 
now we see white people that are finally seeing the ghosts from Scooby-Doo that they never thought, they never believed existed, right? And now they're like, wait a minute now, like they're they're hitting us, they're hitting us. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's so, um, how do we build bridges with people who are just coming along? Because what I've been watching, even with you, like I'll see people try to cancel everybody. And I'm like, I'm on this on all hands on deck mission right now because I feel like everybody ain't going to get it at the same time. And everybody's going to people make mistakes, but we all trying to do something to make this place better for us. So how do you deal with the people who are just coming along saying, oh, my God, this is appalling. I can't believe this George Floyd thing Well, we, we could name people from our hood that that happened to. Yeah, I just say I say welcome to the party. You know, I don't think it's ever too late to do the right thing. I don't think it's ever too late to tell the truth. And you know, when, when Doughboy, remember in, in Boys in the Hood, when Ice Cube's character Doughboy say either they don't know, don't show, or don't give a damn about what's going on in the hood. Sadly, I think a lot of them just really didn't know because it's easy yeah. for them to avoid things that aren't in their world. You'll be surprised how many people, you know, live in a bubble in this country. When you black, when you brown, you have to know what's going on around you. You have to know what's going on in other, you know, cultures. You have to know what's going on with other races because you you almost have to do that for survival. Like I can think right. about growing up in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, and I was I was literally just having this conversation with my wife yesterday because I did um, Stephen Colbert this week, and Stephen Colbert asked me a question about South Carolina and the role that South Carolina played in white supremacy, and you know. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, when it came to racism, is it was it more overt thing or covert thing? And I had to think about it because I was like, growing up, I feel like I experienced more covert racism than overt racism. But when you grow up in a state where the Confederate flag flies, where Strom Thurmond has a federal building and Strom Thurmond has a, a highway, when white guys drive around in pickup trucks with the Confederate flag on it, that is such overt racism that's right there in your face, but you just you just get used to it. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's normal. It's normal to you. So other, if, if I think a lot of people just didn't know, honestly, like we knew because yeah. we had to be aware, but do those people really think they're being racist? Or are they just living their lives? Yeah. You know, what yeah, I'm saying? like do those people think that they're actually being white supremacists or is that just their existence? We're very much aware of their existence. It's almost like there's a lion. No, it's a lion. Does a rattlesnake know it's a rattlesnake? No, they're just being what they are. And we're aware of the danger that they possess. So we stay out of their way. But you know what? This is America. Like, I like oh, and to go back even to most corner, neighborhoods. Like, it's certain neighborhoods, like, you know, nobody ever walked up to me and called me a nigga in my face, but I knew not to go to certain places because I knew that's where all the white people were. I, me and my wife walked into this restaurant one time that we had never been to when we was kids called the Barony House. And we walk in and there's a bunch of white people in there and it's a white hostess and nothing but white people in the kitchen. And we were like, nah. And the hostess goes, why y'all leaving? Because everybody in here white? And we was like, yep. <laughs> so it's just like we were aware of, I guess, where we shouldn't be and who we shouldn't be around, but I don't know if they're aware of their white supremacy and how suffocating it is. 
Yeah, they 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 aren't, and it's embedded in the DNA in the country. It's 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 been passed down through generations, and I think people are in denial about that. That's why I don't get shocked when I hear that someone is racist. I get more shocked when I hear somebody genuinely standing up against racism because right. I feel like they've indoctrinated us to hate ourselves, and they've indoctrinated them to hate us because that's how they maintain power at the top. So when you talked uh, about Joe Biden, you came under fire from some people because they thought that you were telling people not to vote. And I don't like to speak for people, but I want you to, because you and I had this conversation via text. And what, what, what we were saying was that black people in this country and, and, and brown people are always a negotiation point in politics. They're always a currency. And with as much power as we have, why aren't we negotiating that for uh, to hold these politicians accountable for what we give them? So yeah. I wanted you I wanted you to speak on that because people were saying that you were trying to tell black people not to vote. That's definitely what I what I wasn't trying to I was not trying to tell black people not to vote. You know, uh, I want us to vote, but I want us to get something in return for our votes. You know, votes to quid pro quo, and it's not even just about Joe Biden. Like if you watched all of the presidential candidates that came on the Breakfast Club. Last year, every single one, I asked him, do you have a black agenda? You know, what do you think about America atoning for its original sin, slavery? Do you do you do you feel like black people should get reparations? Like, you know, I, I was telling these candidates, if you don't have a black agenda, you're not going to get the black vote. Last year, Mayor Pete came with a black agenda. He had the Douglas plan. Mayor Bloomberg had the Greenwood initiative. Elizabeth Warren had a had a black agenda. Um there's a couple more candidates with a black agenda. I can't remember right now, but but think about that. When when is the last time you remember Democratic candidates actually sitting down at the table and not hitting us with the whole a rising tide lift all boats rhetoric and trickle down economy and not nah, f all that. We need something specific done for Black people because things were done specifically to Black people to put us in the fucked up positions that we're in. Right. So it's just like same thing with Joe Biden. I don't care if it was Joe Biden or any other presidential candidate. I'm going to put that pressure on them to do something for the black community. I just think, you know, when it comes to Joe Biden, when you look at his situation, it's very unique, right? Because this is a guy who, while he was in the Senate, he was behind the 86 mandatory or the 84 mandatory minimum uh, sentences for drugs and the 86 crack laws where you get more money for crack than you do powdered cocaine or the 94 crime bill. So he's created specific, you know, uh, legislation that has devastated the black community. On top of that, he was the first, the vice president for the first black president. So he worked for black people for eight years. You know, so to me, anybody, if there's anybody who should have had a black agenda, it was absolutely Joe Biden, you know, last year. Now, he's recently come with one to lift every voice plan. But also, this is the other thing. People are saying that I'm, I'm encouraging people not to vote. No, what I'm actually trying to encourage Joe Biden and his campaign to do is lean in to blackness, lean in to the black vote. Cause guess what? He doesn't win in November without us. In 2012, no, 2016, 4.4 million people who voted for Barack Obama in 2012 didn't show up. A third of them were black. People have, have, have grown to be, you know, disenchanted with the whole political process. They're not engaged with the political process. They don't believe in Republicans. They don't believe in Democrats. Why? Because they've been getting sold a whole bunch of wolf tickets. They've been getting sold a whole bunch of dreams. Our communities don't change. You know, there's no real investment going into the black and brown communities. You see 
you know, what happens when something like coronavirus hits, being that our community has all these underlying conditions because of systemic racism, it leaves us the most vulnerable. We're impacted the worst. Police brutality, that's been going on since we've been here on this planet. I'm 41. It's never it's never changed. It's always somebody getting hit upside the head with a nightstick. It's always somebody getting, you know, gunned down by a police officer. So it's just like, when are we going to put an elected official in who actually wants to go in there and dismantle this mechanism of white supremacy? So if, if me making demands as a black person saying, no, if you want my vote, then you got to do X, Y, and Z. If that's me encouraging people not to vote, then I'm going to be encouraging people not to vote for the rest of my life. So, and you and I had a, we talked about it, DL was on The Breakfast Club and he, he talked about us uh, putting together a plan, right? Mm -hmm. and, and being specific about our demands and what we needed. Um, so in order, Chloe said here, uh, in order for us to have better candidates to address our needs, we need to fund those candidates who are our Koch brothers. So I, I ask, because people ask me all the time, because, you know, people think that because I did this with Tiffany or I know this celebrity or whatever, because I don't I don't want ever want to be considered part of celebrity culture. I know these celebrities. They ask me, where are our Coke brothers? Like what when you see Puffy come on in the ninth inning and say, hey, guys, we need to do this. But he hasn't been active when Kamala was there or when Cory Booker was there. How? How do we mobilize the people who have platforms and money and, and direct them to to play in a space where they would be more effective as opposed to trying to speak out about political issues that they don't necessarily have the information on? Use your money. Be violent with your dollars. Like, how do we rally our people to say, let's fund, let's be our the Koch brothers for the people that we want to put out there? Well, salute to Chloe. Um, she's right. But I mean, those people do exist. Um, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to be the one to say who these people are. But there are a lot of politically sophisticated brothers out here um, and sisters who are who are doing that, you know, who are, you know, funding a lot of these people's campaigns and saying, look, this is what I want. Um, uh, I, I can mention one because he was on Breakfast Club and we spoke about it. Byron Allen. I had, you know, I, I mean, that's that's something that I knew. And I asked Byron, like, yo, Byron, you know, you fund campaigns, you know, so do you have specific ask? And he was like, yes. You know, one of his specific asks was he wants a, a, a black woman running me, you know, for, for Joe Biden. In particular, he wants Senator Kamala Harris. So, yeah, Chloe is absolutely right. That's why I keep saying, like, financial freedom is our only hope. You know, we we have to empower ourselves when it comes to economics, because when you have that money, you can move things in a different way. Yes. You, you know, I think we should start our own party period, which is something I know uh, a, a black politician is working on. That'll, that should be announced soon. I think it, it, it might be announced by Monday, but you know, it's a, it's a black party that's coming and that is exactly what they want to do. Like they want to run their own candidates. They want to, you know, have a certain number of black people that vote in blocks, not just in presidential elections, but in local elections. Like I see, I, I am really seeing black people being, you know, politically sophisticated in a way that I've never seen in my life. You know, I'm, a, I'm also a guy who just got involved in politics in 2008. First time I ever voted was for Barack Obama. And I voted for him because he was black. And that Jeezy song, My President Was Black, was fire. Like, yeah, <laughs> with culture, you know, just because I'm like, oh, a black man has a chance to win. That looks dope. But, you know, we, we can realize, what, 12 years later, you know, it's, it, it doesn't necessarily matter if we have symbols. We need actual 
you know, change. Not yeah. Things that make us feel good. We need things that actually make us good. I, I I love that you say that that you you just voted in 2008 and that's when you became politically activated because I think that a lot of people do have this air of superiority and everybody's judging and critiquing everybody right now because they can but the truth of is it, of it is is that most of us are not fully educated on politics because if we really knew what really happened with politics, we would have been disgusted a long time ago. We would have been setting Wells Fargo and Target on fire years ago if we really were, if we really knew what was happening. Absolutely. So you had Rush Limbaugh on the show and there's criticism for that, for normalizing, um, for normalizing the, the anti-racist or the GOP. What was the reasoning behind bringing Rush Limbaugh on the show? There was no reasoning on my end. You know, um, that was a, you know, we work for the same company, you know, iHeart, iHeart Media. And, you know, it was a phone call that happened one weekend and it was the powers that be. And they were like, you know, um, Rush Limbaugh feels like what happened with George Floyd is terrible and it's wrong. And, you know, he wants to know how how can we stop stop police brutality? And, you know, he wants to have he wants to have the Breakfast Club on the show. You know, he wants to talk to y'all about it. And I'm like, okay. And so they was like, would you be open to that? And I was like, well, if that's the conversation, you know what I'm saying? Cause you know, Russ has said a lot of dangerous rhetoric, you know, to the, to the, to the, to the black community, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I've listened to Russ over the years. It's not, it's like, I've heard him. Um, I mean, I'm not an avid Russell Limbaugh listener, but I, I tune in every now and then just because from a skill set level, mm -hmm. I like to hear what other radio personalities are doing. So I've heard him, you know, have conversations about other police killings and stuff. And it, it, I remember, um, I, I think it was the Eric Garner. He, I remember him saying that was wrong as well back in the day. So I'm like, all right, let's see what the conversation is, you know. But when you get on, you get on with that guy, and you know, it was a simulcast. So we was on his show, and we we, we also aired him on other iHeart stations and the Breakfast Club. So it's like when you get on and he admits, okay, what happened with George Floyd was wrong, and then he says, okay, you know, how do we stop that? And I'm like, well, that's a question for you. How are you going to use Right. Well, privilege as a white male who has a direct line to the president. How are you going to help stop that? Because to me, I don't think that you can ever stop police brutality or any type of oppression until you dismantle the mechanism that is white supremacy. You literally have to have people that want to go in there and give up some of that power and give up some of that privilege. And, you know, when he denies Rush Limbaugh, when he denies that white privilege even exists, he doesn't believe in it. He doesn't know what that is. Or when he denies white supremacy but then when the when the conversation is over and i'm listening to him take phone calls from people somebody calls in asking what they mean by systemic racism white supremacy and he when i say rush limbaugh broke it down so well like he was so eloquent with it it's like he knew exactly what it was i'm like you you on there playing with me you know what i'm saying it was a performance mm -hmm. it wasn't it wasn't you wasn't really trying to have a conversation i have no problem talking to people from the other side, but can we have a real conversation? Because at the end of the day, I would hope that all of us are just human, right? So when you see something happen to a human, regardless of what color that human is, that's wrong. If we can have a conversation about that wrong and how to correct that wrong, then that's good for everybody. But when you can say that's wrong, but then don't want to get to the root of everything, which is white supremacy and systemic racism, and you're denying that even exists, it's, it's a waste of my time. So yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think that conversation was productive at all. 
So there it is. There's the answer for uh, those of you who asked about that so that you uh, so we don't have to say it again, because I do think sometimes you have to listen to the enemy to see what the plan is. And sometimes you have to talk to people to exchange ideas to know that this is we're not going to this is not going to go away. We live in this country with each other and white people are not going to magically disappear. Yeah. Will not be a mass exodus. And when you work for a corporate company. Right. You got to give a little to get a little. So it's just like they let, you know, Charlemagne and the Breakfast Club do what we do on our platform. They let people like Rush Limbaugh do what he does on his platform. And if they want us to have a conversation, like, you know, I'm, 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 I wasn't going to be all the way opposed to it. It's like, OK, let's have the conversation. But it was very draining and I didn't feel like it was productive at all. And, you know, I definitely let the powers that be know that that I didn't that I didn't enjoy that conversation. And, and that's honest. Um so we earlier this week, I'm not going to let this one go because people came for me because of it. There was an issue in, in the Dykeman district in, um, in New York. And so people that sent me messages, there are people who knew that you were going to be here today, said that you have an issue with Dominicans. <laughs> no, I don't. And I was like, uh, OK, I don't I never I mean, I'm Puerto Rican and Dominican. I don't think he has an issue with me, but I think that. There is uh, there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to the Latin reality. We talked about that on your show. I got a lot of hate from Latinos because I said, you know, anti-blackness is, is practiced in all communities, uh, including the black community. Right. And so it is it was a gift that was given to us by white supremacy to hold us down and to divide us. And now we use it against each other. And so there was this big old thing about uh, the Dykeman district and how this video that I knew people that were on the ground and I know the, the story, so I can't, I'm not a snitch, but it was, it wasn't what people thought it was, but it created this whole Dominican hashtag. And then MAGA people were like, the, the, we love the Dominicans. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, now, you know, we really in trouble because they're the ones that call ice on y'all. Um, so <laughs> I, I do want to talk, they are, they're like, Jeff Sessions delivered a whole speech to Congress about how toxic Dominicans were, that they practice poor qualities and they come here to get married so that they can go back to the Dominican, uh, to go back to the Dominican Republic and take care of their wives and kids. So it was, it, it, Jeff Sessions did a whole speech on it. I, I mean, I, I will say I'm ignorant to uh, like, like I, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, I don't know the difference. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just like, like my, I think my homeboy Meryl, Meryl's Dominican. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, my guy Dramos, he's our board op at the breakfast club. He's Puerto Rican. He is. And my dude pro style who works at the radio station. I always thought he was Dominican, but I think he's like D Dominican, but Greek. Us, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. So it's just like they, you know, people get mad at me sometimes because I don't, I don't know the difference, and I'm not one of those people that's gonna sit around and act intelligent. I'm just gonna ask, like, so are you Dominican or Puerto Rican? And then I don't Puerto Rican and Dominicans beef. They, they have, yeah. That's what I'm saying, like, and it's I don't know. I, I and then I clown. I do clown. Uh, I used to clown pro style a lot. I used to be like, yo, I found out pro style Dominican because he wears white jeans all the time. <laughs> Yeah, they, that's one of the uh, one of the stereotypes that we tend to uphold with the white shoes with no socks on. He really does wear white jeans all the time. Other <laughs> that, that wasn't a stereotype. I was really saying he really wear white jeans all the time. And I'm like, is it a stereotype? Is it true? No. 
So I'll tell you this. One of the things that I've been dealing with is people saying to me, like, you know, the Latin people hate black people. And then my friend Ruben Paul, who's a comedian, who's Haitian, got a bunch of a, a bunch of black people telling him you ain't black either. And I was like, oh, my God, like, how do we. For me, it's like I'm only rocking with everybody with people who are trying to move forward right now and try to, and if they if they against my enemy, then they with me. We got to resolve these issues later because we're not going to fix this right now. And anti-blackness is a property that I mean, you got Koreans who practice it. So what I what I want to know, where do you stand with this with all of you're in New York at the epicenter of all of this? I mean, for me, it's like I'm, I remember even when people used to get mad when guys like you know, Fat Joe and, and, those, and those brothers used to use the N-word. And I'm like, I I never thought anything of it. Cause you know, I look at them as black, like, as black people. Like, I mean, I, I do, I look at Nori as black and Nori is black, but Nori is black and Puerto Rican. You know what I mean? So these brothers, are, they're Afro-Latino. I remember they got mad at me, if, uh, this was years ago. We had Dasha Polanco on the show and, and Dasha mentioned Afro-Latino. And I said, well, what is Afro-Latino? And everybody like, oh, Charmin, you're so ignorant. And I'm like, for asking asking a question, I'm ignorant. <laughs> like, I want to know what is Afro Latino? Is Afro Latino uh, a black person and a Latino person, or something else? And she explained to me what it was—the whole, you know, diaspora and everything else. And I'm like, oh, I get it. When you don't know something, you ask questions. So, I mean, to answer your question, I'm all about like minds, man. And you know, it, to me, it's about it's us versus white supremacy. Yes. white supremacists don't like any of us. That's right. White supremacists, this country was built by old white men for rich old white men. And everything in this country benefits rich old white men. They don't like any of us. So for me, it's us versus white supremacy. We don't have the time right now to be beefing amongst each other. Because when we're beefing amongst each other, we make it easier for the real enemy to take all of us out. And trust me, they know that they're going to be the minority by 2040. Don't think all of these things like, you know, the deportation and the bans and the black maternal death rate. Don't think all of this stuff isn't by some sort of systemic design. They yeah. are trying to eliminate as many of us as possible, keep as many of us out of America as possible. Because think about it. If they're the minority by 2040... What does that do when you have all of these brown people and all of these black people getting more politically sophisticated and, you know, making more money? What does that do? That gives us the power. Right. right? When you have these Latinos, like Latinos, you don't know how they're going to vote. Latinos in Florida vote one way. Latinos in Texas vote one way. Latinos in California vote one way. Like that's that's actually dope that they can't figure it out because you just don't know which side of this person may be on or that person may be on. So don't trust me. They are fully aware of what the future of America may look like. And that terrifies them. When, when Public Enemy came out with that album, you know, back in the day, Fear of a Black Planet, that's real. Fear of a Black and Brown Planet and Fear of a Black and Brown America is absolutely what a white supremacist is terrified of. Absolutely. Somebody said here, they will just try to reframe whiteness, which they have tried because there are a lot of Latinos who assimilate. In, and now you see the biracial groups that don't want to identify as black and call themselves biracial because they want to, you know, want to say it, that they're, you know, I'm a quarter Irish, I'm a quarter, and it's just craziness because when those cops pull out those batons, they don't ever say, hold up, she's Word a quarter up. Irish. Word <laughs> up. They don't know. That's that's why I was saying, like, you know, I was I was having this conversation with my homegirl, Teslin, Teslin Figaro. You know, Teslin, you should meet Teslin. She's dope. Okay, but, um, I want to meet her. 
she she was just you know showing me how Latinos vote, you know, and it's just like you know the Latinos in Florida, some of them, I think it, I don't want I think it's the Cubans. Some of the Cubans feel like they lean more towards whiteness, yeah. so they vote you know Republican. But you know in Cali, Latinos are a little bit more progressive, so they vote blue. And like I said, I just think that's really 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 dope because you know you can't you can't figure them out. And I think as, as long as you can keep everybody, you know, in a state of suspense, especially these politicians, the only thing they're going to ever do is cater to whatever your interests are. So if you're in Florida and you're Cuban and you want X, Y and Z, then that's what you tell these you know, politicians you want. That's what they give you. If you're in uh, California and you want you, you vote in blue and you want X, Y and Z, that's what you tell these politicians. And that's what they give you. And that's what your vote is for. That is truly using the leverage of your vote. That's using the power of your vote. Uh, one of the things that I have uh, I really wanted to ask you about is because right now there is this big your your governor switch minced words or didn't mince well shit he said at first he spoke out for George Floyd and was very adamant and was like I'm with the protesters and then the pressure came and now he's talking about the brutalization of police officers when all the videos that we've been seeing is a brutalization of the American citizens being terrorized by this military police state that we're dealing with. When people come up, I've had people of color say there are some good cops. My uncle is a cop. My cousin is a cop. What do you say to those people when 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 they say that to you? Because I, I, I'm at I'm at a loss right now. Because when I saw the cops who got arrested in Atlanta, it's so easy to arrest black cops when they do something wrong. It's so much easier. I just. Yeah, I mean, I got I got family members who are cops. You know, my 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 cousin who runs my nonprofit organization in South Carolina, he's a police officer. And um, you know, it's I'll put it like this, right? They always say a bad apple spoils a bunch. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like one one bad apple spoils a bunch. You never hear somebody say one good apple makes a bunch of rotten apples good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you can't like there's no such thing. You can't take a good apple put it in a basket of rotten apples and then the rotten apples automatically become good apples. That doesn't happen. If it does, somebody got to show me. I've never seen that science experiment. So I don't think it matters if a cop is good or not when a whole system is corrupt. It doesn't matter if you have one good cop when a whole system is corrupt. You need people that can go in these systems and and, and dismantle them. Just like we want people to dismantle the mechanism of white supremacy, you got to dismantle the mechanism of police brutality, but it's one and the same. Right. Well, these people that are in positions of power, you know, in these, you know, uh, you know, in law enforcement, there, there, there's some, there's some form of white supremacists, you know, and that reflects in the way that they police. That's why even in Minneapolis, they got a black police chief, but if he's got white racists on the force, if he got got bigots on the force, they're gonna make the mistakes that. Derek Chauvin made. And I can't even say that was a mistake. That was intentional as fuck. You know what I mean? But it's just like you can't dismantle a system unless you truly want to dismantle the system. And I don't know if these guys really get into the position of being police officers to dismantle the system. They may say, yo, I'm going to police my community a certain way or I'm going to police a certain way. But are you really going in there with the intention of dismantling a whole system? Because if you were, there wouldn't be this whole blue wall of silence every time something fucked up happens. You know what I mean? I wanted to ask you what when what was your initial reaction when Joe Biden said that you baited him? 
that bothered me a little bit. You know what I mean? I try not to take things personally. Um, I try not to get offended with at a time where, you know, you got police officers beating up on black folks, police officers killing black folks, you know, uh, white supremacists killing, killing black joggers. And you, we all know how the media works. The media always want to make, make the oppressed look like they're the oppressor. You know, the media always want to make the victim out to be the bad guy. Not saying I was a victim or oppressed in that situation at all, but that was just a, a, a basic old white man tactic. Mm-hmm. Instead of owning your bullshit, you blame it on the black person. It's just like that. Like he carrying me. Right. Joe Biden straight up carrying me. I'm just like that was I just thought I didn't like I didn't appreciate that at all. I didn't appreciate that in the least bit. And I wish Don Lemon as a black man would have pushed back on him, you know, and just been like, well, he didn't bait you. Like, don't say he baited you. Like bait is not the the right word. And it's so funny because immediately, you you know, you start getting text messages from people in, 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 in on Joe Biden's camp. You're like, nope, please. Just please. That was wrong. He shouldn't have said that. Please don't go off on him. And I'm like, y'all got me all the way fucked up. I'm not trying to go off on nobody. I just like to speak truth to power. So for you to go out there and say I baited you, that was whack. That didn't happen. You know that didn't happen. And that was cla- you white man me. That was classic white man in right there. Yeah. So um, the black people that are in the camps of these uh, white politicians, when they're held accountable, um, I see a lot of, you know, it becomes confusing sometimes because you'll see people say, why are you attacking a black woman? But then there are the black people that, that are saying, we're not attacking a black woman. We're holding someone accountable who is, you know, in, in working within the system with these white people and she should be holding the white people accountable. How do we maneuver through this new like culture of people? You, I mean, I saw the list of people who got canceled. Killer Mike is on the list. Ti is on the list. Um, I mean, the, the list gets longer and longer. Desi Banks is on the list. I don't know. I don't know. I can't speak for Desi Banks, but you know, anybody that's out here trying to cancel Killer Mike and Ti, then you you just don't understand who's really out here fighting for you. You have no idea who's really out here on the front lines. You know, you know, put push pushing black agendas in a real way. Like, you know, when you look at those police officers in Atlanta who tased the Morehouse, you know, student and the Spellman student, and, you know, thank God Keisha Lance Bottoms, you know, you know, got them fired. But who do you think was on the phone with Keisha Lance Bottoms? Who do you think was calling the government in Atlanta, telling them like, yo, this shit ain't gonna fly. Like, like we're not gonna have this in Atlanta, especially on a weekend when there's already protests going on and looting going on and rioting going on over police brutality. And you got some stupid ass cops in Atlanta who, you know, throwing more gas on the fire by doing that. Like you're trying to get these kids to go home and not tear up the city, but then you go give them a reason to go tear up the city. They are, they, they tearing up the city over something that happened in Minneapolis. So imagine what they're going to do once they see this shit kick off in Atlanta. But my point is, who do you think is out there pressing the line? Right. Who do you think is making these calls? You don't think Tiff and Killer Mike were doing that? Like I that that bothers me more than anything. Don't cancel people that are really out here trying to do do things for the black community just because you may not have agreed with something that they said. Like yeah. literally, like who's perfect? Like all of us are gonna make mistakes. You a comedian. 
I'm a radio personality. We yeah. literally talk for a living. You think we're going to get it right every single time? And by the way, throughout the course of our lives, yeah. now, now you're going back. You ain't even dealing with the evolved versions of us. You're going back 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And like, look what they said when they was 20-something years old. Well, what the fuck? Muhammad Ali said the person who thinks the same at 30, I mean, at 50, the, 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 the person who thinks the same at 50 that they did at 30 has wasted 20 years of their life. You know what I'm saying? So you can't cancel people like Killer Mike and T.I.? I forgot what you even asked me. I'm sorry. I no, 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 that, that, that was it. Because the thing that today I had this moment where I was like, if we keep canceling everybody because they make a mistake, and, mm -hmm. and mind you, the judge and jury is at home on a keyboard. They ain't doing shit. Yeah. They're yeah. the ones telling, telling you who this is outrageous. How are we supposed to collectively ever get anywhere? If we can't even get together on that fundamental level, you think we're going to pool our money together? There's such a distrust amongst us within, within ourselves. The black people within the black people, the Latin people within the Latin people, then the two groups within each other and the Asians. And so for me, to me, it's like what you said earlier, it's we all, it's us against the machine right now, right? It's not a... But it's it's gotten to the point with me where it's very, very toxic. And then now there's a lot of. Uh, so let me uh, go back. Van Lathan was on here last week. And one thing that I asked him to do was name the people who he knew that were on the ground, that were actually doing something to improve the, the lives of people of color that you never hear about because they don't have celebrity status. And they don't have, um, you know, they, they're not on it for the gram. They're really on the ground doing the work. Who are some of the people that you know that are on the ground that are doing the work work while we're focusing on Kanye that we should be focusing on? Well, I mean, I'm going to start off with, you know, some somebody that a lot of people probably know a lot more now. Um, Tamika Mallory, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, my son, even though he was a he raps, but. It's like, yo, my song really puts the work in in a real way. You know, um, you know, Linda Sarsour, like, I, I salute them only because even though people know of them, they really don't do it for that. Like, they are really on the front lines and they go to the fight. That's, that's what Martin Luther King Jr. used to do. Martin Luther King Jr. used to go to the fight. He didn't wait till the fight came to him. He went where the fight was, whether it was in Watts, whether it was in Chicago. He went where it was going down at. Same thing with Tamika Mison and Linda. You know, you got people like um, Philip Philip Agnew, you know, who um, actually spoke to this morning. You know, he was um, he had a he was he was a surrogate for Bernie Sanders, but then he had a title with Bernie Sanders. But he's a brother that you know is really on the on 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 the ground, you know, doing doing real work. You know, somebody like Tesla, you know. I, Teslin Figaro, you know, she's a she's a, a pundit on Fox News, but like, man, she's really in the hoods of California, like really talking, you know, to those those brothers who came up in the gangs, you know, and, and those brothers who like, you know, really are looking for a, a second chance and a second shot at life. And she's on the ground, like, you know, pushing the line for them, going to these city council meetings and just talking to local and uh, local politicians and politicians on a on a national level. So I mean, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of people doing the groundwork. I, I me since I, you know, am really big into mental health. I love people like Dr. Rita Walker. You know, I love people like you know Dr. Alfie. You know, I love people like Dr. Jessica Clemens because these people are really keeping us sane. 
you know, keeping our, our, our mental well-being intact, keeping our emotional well-being intact, keep, keep keeping our spiritual well-being intact. Because we can't do none of this if, 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 if this isn't right. That's right. I mean, I I always celebrate you for that because I think, you know, growing up in a culture where people will tell you you're not crazy. Stop saying that. Stop stop acting like that. Stop Mm -hmm. acting like that. You're not crazy. And wanting to go to a therapist is something that they would shame you for. Um, I, you know, I always celebrate that because I think that mental the mental well-being is so the mental wellness is so important. Uh, We you talked earlier. Erica Ford, too. Erica Ford. Look to Erica Ford. Erica, matter of fact, I, I, I donated to Erica two days ago. Erica did a 24-hour telethon where she was on Instagram Live for 24 hours and she raised $138,000. And I don't even remember who the money was going to, but I just know that it was probably, I know it was going to a good cause. Erica has this, uh, she has this thing, it's like a, a, a camper that's like a trauma unit. And she calls it a trauma unit because she drives around in different neighborhoods and lets people go in there and release their trauma, whether it's a studio in the back where they can just yell, scream. She got oh, yeah, in there. She got yeah. therapists. So her Erica, too, I, she, she's somebody I really respect on the ground as well. Um, I want to also give a shout out to Chris Red from SNL. In the last week, he has raised over $250,000 to support our protesters um, that a lot of people tell comedians to shut up and stick to jokes and not get involved, but we refuse to do that. And he used Instagram and his platform to raise money that is now going to be supporting the protesters for bail money, also for medical care, because a lot of people wow. who get beat up by the cops did not get any, who don't have health care because it's not a right in America. It's a privilege. Um, I wanted you to, to talk about what you talked about before we got online about the misconception that people had about Dr. King, because I think it's very important for us to hold our leaders up in the proper light. And I agree with you with a lot of people for some reason thought that he was some passive docile man that was just you know, white people celebrate him so much because he was the antithesis of Malcolm X, they thought. But he wasn't a punk, and I hate when people say that. I um listen. The first book my father ever gave me was "Message to the Black Man" by Elijah Muhammad. Second book my father ever gave me was the autobiography of Malcolm X. So you know, anybody that knows me knows my history. Knows I love the NOI. I love the Nation of Islam because of the way that they transform niggas into gods. You know what I mean? Like that 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 evolution of man that comes with you know being in the NOI. Like I think Mar- Malcolm X is one of the greatest stories of a of a man who evolved, you know, ever, right? So I grew up loving Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Minister Farrakhan. I, I grew up loving that, 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 that radicalness, right? And over the last probably like five, six years, seven years, when you start really doing research about Martin Luther King Jr. and reading about Martin Luther King Jr., because I had to start studying Martin Luther King Jr. in a real way because he actually got legislation changed. But that always intrigued me. You know, when you start, you know, realizing that you need a a mean inside outside game. So you need the nation of Islam. Who's like, F that we need to separate, let them give us all our our reparations. We'll go on about about our way. But then you have a mother King Jr. who goes, no, we're here in America. It ain't about separating. It's about them treating us equally. But when you look at the, the radical things that he actually had to do in order to get, those things done like it really bothers me when i see people post things like we are not our ancestors yeah we're not because we kind of pussy compared no not kind of we all pussy compared to them you know when people say i'm more 
I'm more Malcolm than Martin. What does that even mean? Because I love Mar. I love Malcolm X. I have a I have a Malcolm X charm. I love everything that he stands for. But I've seen Martin on the front lines of fights way more than Malcolm. You know, when you watch uh, Malcolm X's documentary, that was one of his you know his 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 issues with you know the no the NOI because you know the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was like, no, we're not going down there. Like he did want to go down to Selma, and you know he did want to go be on the front lines and, and stand with those brothers and sisters while they were getting their asses kicked, okay? But to act like Martin was not gangster, Martin was at front lines every fight, literally. He's the one getting sprayed with the hoses. He's the one getting hit with the billy clubs. He's the one getting dog-sicked on him. And let's not act like people around him were punks. Stokey Carmichael then wasn't no punk. Stokey Carmichael then wasn't with that nonviolent shit. They was like, nah, we're going we gonna to bust heads when heads need to be busted. So it's just like it bothers me when people act like Martin Luther King Jr. was just some chump. There was nothing, absolutely nothing chump about Martin Luther King Jr. Actually, the way he was, he was like a stoic. He was yeah. patient. He was calm. You know, you, you, you know how, think we can't even control our emotions on Twitter. Yeah. Somebody say something else on Twitter. We ready to clap back and fuck you and this and that. Martin <laughs> busted upside the head with billy clubs and still was like, no, we're not doing none of that. We're going to be steadfast in our nonviolent approach. That don't make him pussy. That shows me a man whose mental fortitude, emotional fortitude can't be moved. That's more gangster to me than anything. That man had an emotional IQ that was through the roof. You know what I'm saying? People with low emotional IQ. They'll shoot you because you stepped on their sneakers. That don't make you gangster. That make you corny. That actually make you stupid. Yeah. High emotional IQ is somebody step on your shoe and you be like, hey, uh, I, it's okay, brother. I forgive you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't see how people act like Martin Luther King Jr. was a punk at all. Like That makes no sense to me whatsoever. And you know it's funny because even though w- w- before he died, he was his daughter said he was probably was on the list of the most hated men in America, and um, she said, you know, she said, stop quoting my father. She was like, you, you guys, uh, my father was one of the most hated men in America, and so please stop using him as a, as an excuse to tolerate abuse because it, in essence is what she was saying. The thing is that he said, I'm afraid I've assimilated, we've assimilated, I've assimilated my people into a burning house. Yeah, I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid I've integrated my people into a burning house. See, that's the other thing too. They don't ever talk about the Martin Luther King Jr. towards the end of his life who was having conversations with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad who was getting a little bit, who was a, getting a lot more radical, you know, in his approach to things because, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. had gotten to the point where he realized it wasn't about civil liberties. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't about civil rights. It was about that money. You know what I mean? Martin Luther King Jr. literally was saying, like, we're going to D.C. to get our check. Like, literally, that was his words verbatim. So I would encourage everybody to watch. um, It's a documentary called King in the Wilderness. Mm -hmm. It, It literally documents the last eight months of Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. And it's documented with videos, pictures, speeches. It's the last eight months of his life. And, you know, he died with anxiety and depression because of what you just said. Like, you know, he was hated. His own people didn't like him. They were calling him an Uncle Tom and a coon. Like Malcolm X used to keep his foot on Martin Luther King Jr.'s neck. But literally all he was doing was was he was out there fighting for us. Like y'all talk about canceling people. Oh, these Negroes was definitely canceling Martin Luther King Jr. They couldn't understand why Martin Luther King Jr. was 
having conversations with John F. Kennedy, why he was having pushing the line on Lyndon B. Johnson to get things done. Like he was like, why are you talking to these racists like Lyndon B. Johnson? And guess what? He actually got things done. He got legislation done. We are in the positions that we're in in this country right now because of Martin Luther King Jr. So everybody go watch King in the King in the Wilderness. That's what it's called. King in the Wilderness is a documentary. I'm, I'm, it's on Amazon. It is incredible. It documents the last eight months of Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. You can see how how much of a gangster Martin Luther King Jr. was. I'm going to watch that today. So, uh, you know, one thing that I always like to end or talk about is solutions, because a lot of people I, there are some people that I unfollowed because all they do is criticize other people, but then they never have anything to offer in this place. Right. So I'm, I'm accumulating a list of what I think is corny. Like for me, when we think it's cool and funny to say that we are not doing jury duty, but then we complain about the DAs. We complain about the sheriffs and we complain about the, the people who are holding us down. But we don't do our civic duty to go into these courtrooms to represent the, our people who need proper representation, because that's what you do when you're a juror. Um, I don't. I think it's corny not to vote. I think it's corny not to walk past a black or brown owned business and go to a, a white business because you think it's better. Like right. those are the things that I'm working on to try to dispel some of the, the things that we do to, to show self-hate. What are some of the things you think about when you think, think about solutions when it comes to black people specifically? Um, I mean, it's a lot, right? Um, black people specifically, you know, unity and group operation is, is definitely a must, but we have to start realizing that everybody can't go. And just because a person is black, just because a person is brown, you know, that doesn't mean that that's your tribe, you know? And, and what I, and what I think is corny is when somebody has the same, you know, uh, goal as you, meaning they want the same thing you do, but they just may not be, doing it the way you want them to do it. They may not be walking the path you may want them to walk. They're walking their own path, but they're all they're, they're trying to get exactly where you're going. I'm not going to knock that person, you know, because we all got different methods. Like even now during this, this time, everybody not going to be on the front lines protesting. Like, you know, one of the things that I saw the other night that I thought was mad corny was when Don Lemon was, you know, calling out a bunch of celebrities. You know what I mean? And I'm like, first of all, who gives a fuck what celebrities think at a time like this? Like the reference to Dave Chappelle, Ja Rule joke. You know what I mean? Like who cares what a celebrity is doing right now? If a celebrity wants to use their voice, use their platform to try to bring about some change, great. If a celebrity wants to donate some money or donate his time, great. If a celebrity wants to show up at a protest, cool. But if they don't, I'm not tripping. But what I thought was corny about that was you don't know what people are doing. Just because they're not broadcasting it on social media or coming on TV to talk about it, you don't know what they're doing behind the scenes. And what have we seen over the past week? We've seen a lot of those people he called out. They were the main ones that stepped up in a big way. You know, you got the governor of, you know, uh, Minneapolis saying how he spoke to Sean Carter personally. And Sean Carter, you know, demanded justice. And, you know, Keith Ellison got put on the case now. And a couple of days later, those cops get arrested. Uh, you see... You know, Jay-Z providing his check for the attorneys to get back and forth. Are you, you know, you I, I know celebrities. I'm not going to say it because I don't think it's public, but I know celebrities that have provided the private jet for the, the Floyd family yeah. you know, to get to get to where they're to get the way they need to go from Houston to Minneapolis. So it's just like you don't know what people are doing. Kanye West just gave 
$2 million and set up a trust fund. And I see people killing Kanye for that. I'm like, yo, does Kanye state say stupid shit? Yes. Do I like Kanye's affiliation with Donald Trump? No. Can I salute Kanye for doing a good deed? Absolutely. One does not have anything to do with the other. So it's just like, I just don't like when we do that to each other. You know what I mean? Like whatever, if, if we're all trying to get to the same goal, I'm not going to knock you because you're moving differently than I am. That's what Martin and Malcolm messed up. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like they could have, they could have got more done together, you know, but Malcolm didn't necessarily understand how Martin was moving until the end, the end of his life. Yeah. You know, and that's the sad part sometimes, you know, the sad part is we evolve a little bit, a little too late. But that's why you shouldn't knock a person when you see them moving and you see them fighting on behalf of black people. That's 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 all that should matter. Just sit back and observe. Don't get in their way. We get in each other's way too much. Yeah, we're there's a lot of my grandmother used to tell us don't fight it, uh, with family in front of the company. And when she said that it was it was not just about our immediate family. She was talking about Puerto Ricans. So because I remember. One of us said that we didn't like J-Lo and there was some white people around. And she was like, we, we don't say we don't like J-Lo in front of the white people because J-Lo belongs to us. Now, we got a problem with J-Lo. We pull J-Lo to the side and we tell J-Lo, hey, what's up with the nose job? Or what's up with this? What you do? But we do not shit on J-Lo in front of the white people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, when I'm watching this, all of this unravel, because. I don't think people realize that that's all part of the white supremacy plan. If we sit here picking each other apart and we keep saying that everybody is canceled or problematic, Don Lemon has done some, what he did in, in, in Ferguson was ignorant. Oh, with the, but, with the Louis scarf on? And the weed, the weed, saying it smelled like weed. It smelled like, right? I smell the odor of marijuana. Yes, and they killed him for that. But he still addresses Donald Trump and he has gone face to face. And I know that he gets death threats every day because he has gone in and in and in. So, like you said, we don't we don't honor nuance anymore. Everything is one extreme or the other. And we need to learn how to have a lemon squeeze with our own people. Right. We need to say, hey, you don't cry over Gucci on on the Internet because that's what it looks like, because this this, this. We don't just destroy this woman or just say we're done with her. Because the truth is that everybody, everybody's not there. And I, and I make a conscious effort. When I talk about unity and group operation, I make conscious efforts to support my people. You know what I mean? Because I feel like the other thing that we really need is economic empowerment. You know, Jay-Z said financial freedom is our only hope. And I truly believe that. But in order to be financially free, like imagine if we all supported each other. You know what I mean? Like in a real way. Like if, 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 if you doing... A comedy show. I'm gonna make sure I come to that comedy show because I know that's how you eat. If you selling merchandise, I'm gonna buy some of that merchandise because I know that's how you eat. If you are financially free, if I'm financially free, we can speak the way we want to speak. We're not beholden to anybody. And to me, that is how you truly, truly, truly raise the consciousness level of the black and brown community. Because it's it's a lot of us going along to get along. It's a lot of us lying because we're trying to keep our you know, corporate jobs, you know what I mean? You can't be like that. Like, if you really want to free your people, then support them financially. What are the la- well, I want to end with this because uh, one of the other things that I got, I got a bunch of people sending me messages about what they wanted me to ask you. And I said, I'm going to ask these things. And the rest was me. Um, you've been accused of being uh, homophobic and anti-trans, right? Uh, a trans man was murdered by the cops 
a couple of days ago, and I think in South Florida, and didn't make any headlines. But I don't think people know that the the reason Flame was on the Breakfast Club and on the Brilliant Idiots is because you wanted Flame on there. You said you told me, hey, whenever you uh, with Flame, let me know because I want to give Flame a platform and a voice. So when when we talk about that, I would love for you to address that because um, I I just like I said, I can't stand when people just say this person is that. Um, based on one thing that was said or something that happened, are you anti-trans? No, people say people say I'm homophobic and anti-trans, but then they also say I'm gay and transitioning. So okay. it's like I'm I'm, li- <laughs> I'm literally probably the only person online who gets called everything. Like, oh, Charlemagne hates black women. How? Like I'm my, my, I'm I'm probably one of the only brothers out here with a black wife. Well, no, that, that's changed a lot. There's a lot of people out here with a black wife, but it's just like, no, not at all. Like, I don't know. But I, you can be married to a black woman and still be. That is, that's true. That's true. That, that, that's true. But it's like, no. And it's so funny. I went to Harvard one time, right? And I was speaking at Harvard and some of the kids were protesting me and they were telling me I'm, I'm transphobic and homophobic. And I was like, yo, let's have a conversation. I want to know why you feel that way. Tell me. What I have done that makes you feel like I'm homophobic or transphobic. They gave me two examples. Two. This is the two examples they gave me. They said, you had Young M.A. on your show. Mm-hmm. And you asked Young M.A. Um, about the line in her song when she said, shorty, give me head and she deep throat. And you said to her, you know, Getting head, getting head. If you, if you, if you, she said, oh, yes, I said, does that feel good? I said, yo, if I was getting head, because I asked her how she done, she was like, you know, she sucks on the, on the, on the dildo. And I was like, but isn't that like getting a tattoo on a fake arm? Like, and, and, and acting like it hurts. And, and they was like, that was homophobic. I didn't know it was homophobic. I was just asking about a line in a rap song, right? And then the other one was, um, Caitlyn, it was about it was about Rachel Dozal, because Kate, remember Rachel Dozal came out like two weeks after Caitlyn Jenner, I think it was like the Caitlyn Jenner thing happened and then the Rachel Dozal thing happened, and I said it's crazy to me how y'all are killing Rachel Dozal and just totally marginalizing whatever her experience may be, but y'all was so accepting of Caitlyn Jenner, because who am I to tell Rachel Dozal? what she feels like or what she identifies as. Same thing with Caitlyn. I can't tell Caitlyn what what she feels like. If that's what she identifies as, that's her thing. So my thing is just like, yo, we're going to be accepting. Shouldn't we be accepting all across the board? So it's just like, how does that make me transphobic? Well, I will tell you that the reason someone would say that the young ma thing is transphobic is because it is disputing that she is... um, who I, Young Ma identifies as a lesbian, right? Not as a transgender male. Lesbian, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess it's the, the language where people feel like if you're making a mockery of what they do because you it disputes who they are uh, and what they identify with, it is perceived as being um, uh, insensitive. Well, maybe but, I'm just curious, because if, if, if I'm driving in the car, and I hear somebody say, "Shorty, give me head," and she deep throat. I'm, I'm like, "Oh, well, how? 
I just want to know how. Like, that's like, like literally, like I would ask any other rapper about about their lyrics. But listen, man, I've seen homophobia in this country. I've seen transphobia in this country. Uh-huh. It's, it's I horrible. Think, I don't think either one of those. Uh, and I listen. By the way, I can't tell them. You know what's homophobic or transphobic because that's their experience. So if they tell me it is, I gotta I gotta accept it, right? But I think that that falls very, 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 very low on the homophobic, um, transphobic scale. I, I think so anyway. Well, I mean, I, what I would say is at this moment is that every single person that's black belongs to us. And if they are being mistreated and abused, that abuse belongs to us. And whether, and I'm not talking about you, but I'm saying whether you agree with, because there are some black nationalists that said Black Lives Matter has been hijacked by the LGBTQ community and they're trying to, um, you know, make everybody gay so that there are no more black people, which I believe that there's no secret that they're trying to, there's a black, uh, an agenda to try to minimize black people in this country and eliminate them. That's been going on forever. And whatever mechanism they can use, they'll probably use. That doesn't mean we throw our gay people and our trans people in the trash. They belong to us. They are ours. Yeah. You know, I just, I just thought about this, right? Like, um, like, you know, we've had plenty of transgenders, transsexuals on the show. I, I think and I'm just thought it's just coming to me. I think that it can, it, I, I can see where it can be intrusive, right? Because you, you know, when they come on, you may ask questions about, you know, why they decided to transition, or like, you know, Flame, Flame has breasts and a penis. Flame is a little different though, because Flame doesn't have a problem having those conversations. But it's kind of like if you black and you sitting down with white people, and white people are asking you all of these questions about blackness you know what i'm saying like i can see where that could be annoying and you can like get the fuck why the fuck are you asking me these questions or like um you know somebody somebody comes to you and be like hey did you see blackish last night white guy come to you did you see black you're like what the fuck you mean did i see blackish you might take offense to that you know what i mean but he might really be just trying to relate to you or trying to you know come into your world so i could see where i could see where if you're sitting down with you know somebody from that community and you're, you're asking those kind of questions, how that could, how that, how that could offend them, how that could bother them. It's just like, yo, I'm human. Why the fuck you just, can't we just focus on whatever it is I'm here to do? I appreciate that. Uh, in all fairness to you though, you troll everybody uh, equally. <laughs> I don't think I'm trolling though. I'm just, I promise you, I'm just a curious person. Like, no, I'm, I know. I'm not going out of my way to troll anyone. I'm just asking questions like i am a curious person i try to keep that childlike curiosity i'm always wanting to learn something new and i'm the type of person i don't have no problem you can ask me those kind of questions too ask me things that you want to know about me ask me things that you 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 think i got going on i would i don't have a problem with that you know so i feel like i do the same with people but if a person tells me that they don't like it then i shut the fuck up simple as that but i like what you said you don't have to those are extremes right like I'm a whole, I'm transphobic now, I'm homophobic, like, that's crazy to me. Well, I'm glad you came, I took, I'm glad you took some time to talk to me, because I appreciate uh, our conversations above all things, because you and I have uh, exchanges, and they, I always grow and learn from them, because I think that it's important that we elevate. And um, I appreciate you being honest, and, you know, I like to operate from truth and, uh, and authenticity as well. 
I'm too, and, dumb, I'm too dumb to do anything else. Nah, you're not dumb. And I appreciate you for that. <laughs> Only thing I'm going to tell you is I do not. I, I, and I'm going to tell you to your face, don't you ever talk about Forrest Whitaker I again. You hear me? Ever <laughs> in life. Once again, I asked him a question. Like, we make, yo, they make jokes about Forrest Whitaker's eye all the time. I don't make the joke. I just ask the question. Like, no. So you that's never. Not, that's you, you, not the question. Don't ask him that. No. He you already never has to do about his eye. No. I, I what, did I ever wonder how he felt about his eye? Yes. But I think that that's too sensitive of a topic to ask him in, in front of everybody. That's something you ask him yeah. by himself. No, I get it. Listen, I get it. That's the same. Like, that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, when you're interviewing. Transgenders and transsexuals, it's the same thing. Like my my curiosity and the things I would ask are different than other people, but I can see how that could be intrusive. I could see how that could be offensive to somebody. That, and, that, and well, that's what makes you Charlemagne the God. So um, please take care of yourself, my friend. I appreciate you. you. God, it's wicked out here. We, we shall overcome. That was never a lie. Appreciate you. Love. All right. Love you back. Talk to you soon.